I'm Dave Minocco, the Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. Throughout the month of March, we will look at belonging through the lens of engagement, specifically in the context of school and work. Research tells us that engagement, the sensation of being deeply plugged in to meaningful work one finds fulfilling, is lacking in both today's schools and workplaces. The consequence? Too many students and employees who feel disconnected when at work and school. Why is this, and what can be done about it? Data from Gallup tells us the story of student engagement in school, and the plot is not an uplifting one. By seventh grade, the data suggests student engagement in school begins to plummet. This so-called school cliff demonstrates that the older students get, the more transactional their learning becomes. Exploratory and deep learning, so commonly seen among younger learners, seeds to the content grind learning culture associated with credit procurement, GPA building, high school transcript designing, college preparatory programs. The net result? More student disengagement and, as we know, anxiety and mental health issues. Author, speaker, and educational provocateur Will Richardson has been a passionate voice on the topic of student engagement for two decades. He was one of a handful of original education bloggers. You can read him at willrichardson.com. And his work has appeared in numerous journals, newspapers, and magazines. He's an outspoken advocate for change in schools and classrooms in the context of the diverse new learning opportunities that the web and other technologies now offer. Will has offered six books, most notably to me, Why School. In total, his books have sold over 150,000 copies worldwide. Will is a former public school educator of 22 years, co-founder of Modern Learning Media and co-publisher of ModernLearners.com, which is a site dedicated to helping educational leaders and policymakers develop new contexts for new conversations around education. He's spoken to thousands of educators over the last decade about these very topics of engaged deep learning. I think you'll enjoy this episode of From My Angle Podcast, in which Will and I discuss what engagement in school means and looks like, why a school cliff relative to engagement exists, and what we as a community of educators and parents can do about it. Enjoy this podcast episode with Will Richardson. Well, welcome to the From My Angle podcast. I'm glad to have Will Richardson uh, with me today, a veteran podcaster himself. Uh, you can listen to his Modern Learners podcast if you uh, want to hear about the world of education from his perspective, which is a rich one. Thanks for doing this with me, Will. Yeah, not a problem, Dave. Good to be with you. Will is a thought provocateur, as I like to say, in the world of education. He's spoken to the Parish Board of Trustees in this same Zoom uh, mode in the past, and I have heard him on numerous occasions uh, across the country. But as he just told me, he's heading off to Spain. His, uh, his voice and reach carries uh, globally, so he is one who has really influenced uh, the, the thoughts of many educators across uh, the world, and I think we'll do so as we move into this month of March and my theme of belonging and talking about the concept of engagement and what belonging uh, looks like through the lens of plugging into work uh, that is meaningful, schoolwork or the world of work. So glad to have you with me, Will. Give the audience a brief background on your professional journey and your particular points of purpose, how they've been framed as an educator or thinker, and kind of what's brought you to your standing today. Well, I started as a high school English teacher um, for about uh, 18, 19 years, then was a, a supervisor of technology working with teachers to integrate mostly the internet. Uh, this was back in the early 2000s and um, 
left that job probably about uh, 15 years ago now to do speaking, writing, consulting, um, traveled to now 24 different countries, um, have had the opportunity to work with hundreds of schools, talk to literally hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, if you'd have told me my life was going to work out like this, you know, 30, 40 years ago, I would have just chuckled at you. But it's been an amazing ride. And I have really enjoyed having the opportunity to, to kind of push people's thinking about how education has to change in this moment, because uh, there's so much going on now in terms of our ability to learn on our own, in terms of our kids' abilities to connect and create that just feel like it requires some some pretty heavy duty conversations, some existential conversations actually about who we are as schools and teachers and what classrooms need to look like. And uh, that's been at, at, at the same time a, a very exhilarating and very frustrating conversation to have. No, no question about it. And, and besides the Modern Learner podcast, if you, if you uh, Google uh, Will's book, Why School, which is a short uh, essentially treatise, um, you will get, I think, distilled what Will was just describing about his rationale, motives, and even ideas for, for why, why school needs to shift. And that's, that's, really the frustra- that's really the frustrating part about it, right? Because I wrote that six years ago, and I could have <laughs> released it today, right? <laughs> yeah. That much has changed. And I was just going to say to those who have been listening to this podcast or, or watching me do my work at Parrish for the last uh, 10 and a half years, nothing that you read in there will be all that surprising when we talk right. about reimagined school and uh, our own efforts, at times frustrating, as well as alluded to, uh, to kind of change a model that's been so entrenched in the world. But we kind of want to move in a bit of a different direction uh, on this kind of theme of belonging, because, you know, to me, this idea of engagement is the compelling one. It is it is the the, the driver of the work we've been trying to do at Parrish um, and really in my classroom, uh, dating dating back to when I was a teacher in my earliest years. But I also think it's fascinating to think about it as a general concept, uh, even if we look at the world of, uh, of work, for example, but I mean, Will, if we just say the word engagement to you, like unaffiliated from any particular condition, take it out of the classroom, take it out of the office cubicle. Like when you hear the word engagement, what does that mean to you? Um, it means immersion, um, uh, maybe a, a little bit of obsession, um, something that um, in, in whatever way really uh, just pulls you in and keeps you there. And um, it's one of those situations I, I keep thinking back to, Seymour Saracen, who I quote a lot, but, you know, again, in a learning context, it is, it is really in a space where you want to continue to learn. You want to keep learning more. You're, you're, uh, you're, you have a lot of inquiry around it and it's just something that, that just keeps your attention. Yeah. And, and that, that element of, in, of engagement, I think we have to think about the conditions in our lives that, that bring that to us, right? Some people get deeply engaged in a, in a craft. Uh, they can think about artwork. Others will think about it in the kitchen around baking or, or uh, their, their desire to um, cook the, the next in, incredible meal. The lucky and fortunate ones can think about it in their world of work, not just in an, in an area of, 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 uh, of avocation, but their, their vocation. When you start to think about the behaviors and attitudes and dispositions of people that you see as engaged, what are some of those besides this obsession that you spoke about? Uh, what, what are some of the things that you would affiliate with, with the idea of engagement? Well, I think they're inherently curious. Um, I think uh, they they just again want to learn more. So they have learning dispositions, obviously. But you know, I, I would say I think everybody can be engaged. I think everyone is engaged in something. It's just a question of um, how productive is that engagement, right? Um, and and how much meaning and purpose and potential effect 
does that engagement have, right? Because you can, you can be engaged in law and order, <laughs> you know, you can be, you can be engaged in any of the millions of TV shows that people are binging on right now. Right. So that's a, a level of engagement, but that's kind of like a passive engagement. And I, I tend to think of it more in terms of, of how can you be engaged in something that allows you to create or to, um, to produce something, to share something and make an impact in the world with that engagement. I think that's where it gets really fun. Yeah, and I would only parallel back then to that that notion of of engagement leading to fit or fulfillment, right? So this idea of fulfillment is an uh, is an important output and not a disposition or behavior or attitude. Uh, it is what results when you connect, and that is why you know your podcast is doing a lot of theme work around math presently. For example, we've been doing belonging for the entire year, and in this particular um, uh, month, having moved from looking at technology and how. You know, what is that doing to bring us together, pull us apart? And we had Todd Rose on and Marion Underwood and even some of our parish kids talking about what is the role of uh, an age of personalization, uh, technology to bring us together, bring us apart. Does technology help us to engage or to disengage? But I really think where you listen to somebody like Todd Rose, when you talk about engagement in whatever area or domain you think about, you feel like you fit. You feel like you found your, your, your place. Uh, and you're and you're comfortable there. You're fulfilled there in, in in that work that you're doing. So that's another piece that I would add to it as we think about uh, this level of engagement. Uh, the researcher uh, Michele uh, Chistamalia, he's talked about this, and many people know the, the this idea of um, flow that he's mentioned and and spoken to, or optimal experience. Like this is this idea of uh, deep enjoyment, creativity, total involvement. And we've even seen a movement to the um, area of positive psychologists like Martin Seligman, you know, who spent a lot of their time looking at this idea of recognizing, savoring, and expressing gratitude uh, around uh, the type of work that connects you deeply uh, to your curiosity, to your creativity, and, and ultimately to fulfillment. You mentioned Sarah's in, like, are there other thinkers for you who've really framed or influenced how you've come to think about engagement? Well, I mean, certainly if you read a lot of the, the old folks, um, you know, if you read uh, Montessori, if you read Reggio, if you read uh, Dewey and, and uh, people like Frank Smith and, and others, I mean, you know, engagement really isn't rocket science at the end of the yeah. day. Um, yeah. it, it's, I think, a natural part of how we learn. Uh, you have to be engaged in order to learn. Um, there's an aspect of, of focus and attention that is self-determined though, right? And I think that's what I was going to just add to what you were saying before. Um, you know, engagement is fulfilling if it's your choice, right? And I think that's where we get into a little bit of trouble when we, we talk about engagement in schools. How do we get kids more engaged? Well, it's not, we, we, can't, we can't make them engaged in the stuff that we want them maybe to, you know, enjoy more. Um, ultimately, they're the only ones who decide, you know, need to do with is how do we create uh, how do we create more conditions where engagement can happen and if you read those old guys and women, old men and women <laughs> don't want to just make it all male but yeah. what, what you read is basically um, it has to be personal it has to be about um, an, a learner's personal interests and desires to pursue something that he or she has thinks has value and has purpose so, you know, um, I was writing actually uh, this morning about, um, you know, I, I saw a, a, a title of a blog post from somewhere where it said, basically, 
here's one way how we can tackle algebra in college, right? And I found that word so interesting. Like, you know, you have to tackle it. You have to overcome it somehow. Well, the problem isn't algebra. It's, it's that we're not allowing kids or we're not helping kids see how algebra has meaning in their lives, you know, and no amount of tackling <laughs> is going gonna, is gonna to overcome that. You can't force it on kids. Yeah, you have many good many good tropes on algebra uh, at Will Rich forty five on Twitter. If you, if you want to well, dig into some of those, yeah, I mean, you know, and and it again, it comes down to um, you know the learner decides, and yeah. so we may decide that we want to learn enough algebra to pass the test, but um, I'd be much happier if kids were engaged in algebra in ways that made sense to them, so that yeah. they could see the beauty of math in their lives and they would want to learn more about it. Right. Um, all too often. That's just, that just isn't the case. And I, I really don't accept the premise that, well, we just can't do that in schools because of the way they're structured and because the systems kind of prevent it. And there's all these barriers and stuff. That's just not true. I've seen it in places. I've seen, I've been in schools and classrooms where kids are totally engaged in math and um, who see math as a valuable vehicle to understand their world more fully and to, and to participate in the world more fully. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it is, it's a limitation of our imagination more than anything else um, um, with the understanding that it's not easy in many cases because of those systems and structures, but it's certainly possible to do that. But it's also likely been that point and source of frustration that you've spoken about. I mean, people ultimately hit that impediment, you know, when it comes no to how to loosen the strictures, uh, as I call them, the strictures of school, which are and is adult curated curriculum and, and to loosen those up for kids. But you bring us to this really interesting segue now in this, in this notion from kind of a general understanding what engagement feels like, looks like, might uh, actually uh, you know, be, be uh, described uh, through in behavior to this notion of, well, what's the problem, right? And so you know, we can look at it from the school and work standpoint. You and I are gonna focus a lot more on the, on the school uh, element. But we know that kids in school are faced with a set of, uh, you know, really disengaged uh, behaviors, particularly after after seventh grade, um, Gallup, balance, success, hope, uh, out at Stanford, uh, this notion of the student cliff, which is after seventh grade, student uh, engagement in school um, decreases uh, significantly. And uh, you likely saw the Yale uh, report that was put out uh, just a couple of weeks ago on, on high school, which most uh, common emotion students refer to when talking about high school was tired at 58%. This is 21,000 U.S. Uh, high school students. Um, most emotions that they reported, uh, just, just under 50%, stressed, bored, you know, calm, happy you got in there. That was nice. Um, but, you know, they were stressed at 79%, bored 69%. So this is really research that's, that's uh, ample and, and all over the place. If you had to identify the major drivers of student disengagement besides this notion of lack of, of, of choice, and that may be the primary one, uh, are there others that you think are feeding, are feeding this? Um, well, first of all, all that stuff is shocking, isn't it? I mean, we're all just shocked by those numbers. Oh, right. uh, I don't think anybody who, who sees those kind of goes, wow, I never knew. Yeah. Um, so this is kind of like a little bit of a truth that we don't really want to talk about too much. Yeah, dirty, hidden, dirty secret. We yeah. know. We yeah. know that kids are pretty much bored and disengaged. And Punching the clock. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm not sure. I, I think that there's a whole bunch of things that contribute to that, certainly other than um, kind of simple boredom or irrelevance. I mean, there are a lot of other distractions in the world right now. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're talking specifically about kids in school, 
uh, there's a lot of other things they want to be doing rather than sitting in a classroom trying to understand something that, again, they don't see any relevance in or have a, a real passion for. Um, and so, you know, I, I think, again, the, the question becomes, how do we bring our stuff to their contexts, to their interests, to their passions? And that's the only way we can do it, I think. Um, and again, this is Dewey, right? This is Montessori. We have to start where the kids are. So if, if kids are engaged in Minecraft or in Fortnite, I mean, there's a lot of math in those particular spaces, right? So how can we bring our math curriculum into their worlds where they might find it more interesting or relevant? Is it harder to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Is it more complex? Sure. It's not as easy um, because you have to really co-create curriculum with kids at that point. But, um, but I think that's a really important thing to think about because the other piece of that Gallup survey that hardly anybody talks about is the employee engagement at work. Bingo. And, yeah. And basically, you know, 36% of kids are engaged in school. Well, guess what? Exactly. It's about 36% of adults are engaged yes. at work. In my presentations here, I call it the road to the 66%. So like, if you want to know why 66% of Americans are disengaged at work? Like we have to actually trace that road all the way back to schools and figure out why the present structure isn't working to create a sense of curiosity, uh, passion for, for area of topic, self-awareness and understanding, the types of things that really help us direct our, our interests. And I think, that, you know, when you talk about that, it's, it's that um, we train kids to accept disengagement. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, if we, if, if we were putting curious, creative, really passionate kids out into the world and they landed in jobs that they found boring and irrelevant and whatever else, they wouldn't stay. I mean, or they would try as hard as they can to get out of those particular jobs. But I think in many cases, there are so many adults who just feel stuck because yep. they felt stuck in school too. And they don't really know what to do about that. They didn't yep. have any options back then. I bet you they feel like they don't really know how to how to change their situation or to find something that's more interesting to them. And that's kind of, you know, that's a sad commentary on just the, the fact that 36 or 34 percent of people are engaged at work is a really sad commentary on on the whole kind of, you know, world of employment. I mean, there's so much to be passionate about right now. There's so much that you can do that's really interesting and, and relevant and creative. So it's, uh, yeah. it's kind of sad that that's the case. And you've had Scott Looney from Hawkin on your podcast, you know, yeah. and, and the whole idea of like school shouldn't hurt, you, you know, and, and so this, this whole idea that, that right. school is sort of a grind that you should survive. It is just sort of the, 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 right, the mark, the mark that you have to bear to order to get to this life of meaning and purpose, which is again, a complete myth because there are a, a lot of people research tells us is through Gallup and others that uh, are not finding work to be ultimately uh, fulfilling. So where are the where are we as educators really compelled from a moral standpoint to challenge um, some of the present systemic standards uh, that are that are that are in place? I would the say verb, you know, the verb just ahead. really fast. The verb I heard the other day from a kid was, "Yeah, I have to endure this." <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> and it really doesn't. It really shouldn't and doesn't have to be that way. I've referenced throughout the the the, um, the recent series of episodes the. Um, Cygnus survey that came out showing this dramatic uh, um, and, and really sort of an epidemic of loneliness around 18 to 22 year olds, right? Like uh, the most vibrant, youngest, socially digitally connected group out there, one of two of whom are feeling, you know, left out as if nobody knows who they are, you know, sort of disconnected uh, in the sense of ennui. And I, and I think what's happened is Rose, what he would call this one right path that you follow all the way up through school, so structured 
you know, dumps you out into this now nonlinear world at 22 or 23, where the where the rules are fluid and constantly in flux and changing, and all of our all our kids have known uh, all the con constructs and, and constraints of of the of the present system. So, if you had to look at the systemic elements of school in big public districts or even small independent smaller independent schools of 1,100 kids like ours, like which would be the first that you are recommending people take apart? Uh, or that you think are the biggest inhibitor to, to creating this sort of passion-based, personalized, engaged type of learning experience? Well, so first of all, again, I, I don't think anybody disagrees with you with this, right? I, I yeah. mean, I think anybody, almost everybody in education would say, yeah, that's, that's the case. We, we have these systems and structures that basically limit the amount of engagement, creativity, and curiosity. Yep. What's really interesting to me these days, and this may be a little bit off topic from your question, but what's really interesting to me, the, me these days is, some of the research that some uh, this uh, guy named David Gleason is doing, which is to go oh, to right. independent schools and international schools and say, yes. hey, your kids are lonely. Your kids are sad. They're depressed. They're anxious. They're, you know, they're, they're kind of stressed out. Why is, what, what do you think that's about? And all the schools say, well, because we make it too much about college, because we put too much homework on them, because we, we grade and sort and, you know, and we sleep deprive them. I mean, everybody has the double. He calls it the yeah. lip. Yeah, he calls it the double bind, right? Double bind, and we right. Had him and on, uh, because, yeah. because then he says, well, what if you didn't do that? And the schools all go, well, honestly, sure. we'd lose our reputation. <laughs> you know? that's right. I mean, we might go out of business. Yes. And so that's fascinating to me, right? That yeah. it's, not even, it's not even that it's, it, it, that we don't know what we're doing. We freely admit what we're doing. But yet we find it just impossible for whatever reason to to flip the script and to change it. So... That to me is even more of an indictment um, in terms of of the work that we do and and the fact that we understand it and know why and we can't change it. I'd much rather we didn't have a clue, you know. I'd much rather we're walking around kind of going, I don't know why this is. Let's try to figure it out. But that's not the case. We all know why. We all know why kids are disengaged. We just are whatever powerless or impotent or whatever to do something about it. And. Um, that's really sad and scary on lots of different levels. Yeah, so I, I know you enough to know, and you've even referenced it through this podcast, if you were starting someplace, you would probably start with a, with a curriculum that was, that was much more fluid and emanating out of the organic interests of students as one of the big changes that you would suggest would heighten engagement. I don't know that I'd start with a curriculum at all. I mean, I, to be honest, I do think, obviously, there are things that we need to teach. I, I, fully, I fully subscribe to that. Um, I just think that uh, it's not nearly as much as we currently do teach, right? Um, um, I forget who it is from Harvard, uh, David Perkins, I think it was, who said, you know, 90% of what we teach in school, really, we don't need to be teaching because it's just in case. We're just hoping kids remember it for some purpose someday. I mean, but there's a 10%, there, you know, you need to know how to read and write. You need to know how to communicate. You need to know how to do enough math in the world to, for it to make sense. You need some sense and context of history and all that kind of stuff. But again, I think we do that in the service of what kids need when they need it, you know, for, and, you know, people say, well, you can do that with reading, writing, math. What about history and stuff? like? Well, what if we made really democratic schools? Mm-hmm. I mean, what if, what if we really created schools where kids had an equal vote? Um, that would teach them a lot about how to participate in a democracy other than what we have today, which is people who basically 
don't seem to understand anything about democracy and, you know, are, are, it, it's a really fraught moment right now when it comes to all of that, because I don't think we've given, we've prepared people for the world in which they're going to live, right? So what if we created a school where kids had an equal say in hiring and firing and budgeting and purchasing and all that kind of stuff? Because guess what? It's your school. Um, it's your experience. Now, I know that's really progressive. I know that's really out there, right? And a lot of people kind of roll their eyes and say, well, that's not realistic. Well, that's just not true. That is realistic. There are schools that do that. And kids go to college and kids are successful and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, there is not just one narrative. There is a dominant narrative without question that is deeply rooted in our society and in the minds of parents and, you know, and, and business people and everything else that you have to go through this process that's been around now for centuries. But it's not the only narrative. And honestly, I think that narrative is beginning to break in some pretty interesting ways because, well, for one reason, you know, college is just so expensive now that a lot of people, it's just not affordable for a lot of people. Um, business people are saying kids coming out of college aren't ready to do work anyway. And I think a lot of people are just starting to realize, look, um, why wouldn't we go and experience things and, you know, take a gap year and, and do some stuff in the world and learn, you know, more informally in those ways so that we get a better sense of what we want to do moving forward instead of just signing up for college, not knowing what you want to do, you know, spending all sorts of money and whatever else. So anyway, long story short, I think those narratives are beginning to to crack. Yeah. Um, what takes their place? Uh, I'm not sure yet. Right. And this is, this is my other, you know, favorite guy, Yuval Harari right now, who says, you know, we're in between stories. And when you're in between stories, it's really chaos and messy and, and, and really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think where we're moving right now in education. Yeah. And so I think in that in between moment, schools like ours that have uh, traditional college preparatory um, uh, business mo models are trying to bring in more student voice and choice into into present curriculum design. We're trying to feature more mastery. And so students moving when they're ready to move, not in a standardized clumping. Again, familiar language here at Parish. Uh, more meaningful, authentic work. You talked about that earlier with algebra so that the, right. the math in concept is applied to, to something real. And uh, this notion of what kids need just at this moment, a lot of focus on skill, like a lot of focus on disposition, a lot of focus on attitudes. So while we can't we can't get as progressive in our structures, you might suggest with your with your um, sort of democratic school, if you will. I do think um, schools like ours are, are trying really hard to heighten engagement by featuring more personalization, authentic work and, and opportunities to, to explore. Uh, where their learning and passions take you, but it's but it's hard. I mean, heck, we're ten and a yeah. half years into it here. I don't know that I could say Parish looks dramatically different than it did when I got here. There's right. a there's a um, there's a there's a there's a culture uh, for sure around teaching and learning in our ecosystem that I that I think people can identify and recognize, but completely reimagined. No, we're you know and, we're we're not. And you know, there. and you know, there's agency, and then there's agency, right? So. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about um, voice and choice, for instance, since you yeah. use that term, right? Um, and that's, that's fine, right? If you want to open up a little bit more of an option for students to show what they've learned or whatever else. But the, again, there, the key is, well, are you letting kids choose what to learn? Um, or is it still about our curriculum right. and then giving them some, you know, choice of which novel, choice of which novel to read. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Which, yeah, which yeah. really, which really on the agency spectrum yeah, isn't really that far uh -huh. out there. You know yep. what I'm saying? And, yep. and actually, um, if we want kids to be self-directed and to really thrive in an environment where, 
um, they can learn so many things on their own. It has to be about what? I mean, at the end of the day, if we're not preparing them to make good choices about what to learn, um, then they're still going to be waiting for someone to tell them what to learn and, and pretty much how to learn it. So, I, I mean, look, I, I think that a lot of schools and parish maybe is among these who have done some really important work and had some really important conversations around framing a different sense of a mission and vision, you know, for the world as it is. And I think, or, or as it's going to be. And I do also think that there are a lot of places now that at least rhetorically are saying things that are pretty interesting and powerful, but always at the end of the day, it's, well, okay, where does that rubber meet the road, right? Well, how does that really translate down into classroom practice? And I think if you've been listening to the podcast we've been doing and the ones I did a couple months ago, to me, that all revolves around power and agency is a part of that. You know, it is about how much democratic schools kids have power. Um, and unless we somehow provide the conditions for them to be, and I'm not sure I like this word, but empowered, right? Uh, and to really take control over their learning and the experience that they have in school, I think it's all just kind of a half measure and it sounds nice, but I'm not sure how impactful it's going to be at the end of the day in terms of putting kids out into the world that can really do the work. And that, my friend, is why you're a provocateur for folks <laughs> like me running a two-campus school with 1,150 kids <laughs> and uh, folks paying $30,000 a year to send their folks to school, right? Like, this is the challenge. It's like, how do you, how do you move even incrementally toward um, a, 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 a school experience that, as I say here, has 18-year-olds excited to come to school as eight-year-olds, right? Right. Like when you, right? So and that, that you have to do within the present constructs as best, as best you can, right? But the reality for you is that, and more so for you, you as an independent school, right? Um, the reality for you is that you, you say and you articulate a vision that is about making sure that kids are good citizens, that they do good work in the world, that they're, they have a moral center, that, you know, all that kind of stuff that, that keeps popping up on, on portraits of a graduate, which I'm seeing more and more and more, right? Yeah. Which is fine. I, I have no, no problem with that. It's a really interesting articulation of, of where, what we want kids to be. And, and, and the framing that I've gotten around this lately is this guy, David Labrie from Stanford, where he talks about the fact that's a public good and schools are intended to serve a public good where we are, are preparing kids to be out there in the world and do good stuff. But the reality of it is, is that we work under the um, expectations of the private sector, the people who are paying you $30,000 a year. And what the people who are paying you $30,000 a year want is for you to get their kids to college. Because if the, the, the payment is all about either maintaining or getting access to status, to, to basically improving our lot in life. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, there's not really a lot in that conversation that has much to do with kids being really good citizens and doing good work in the world and everything else. We say we want that stuff, yep. but we're almost okay if that doesn't happen as long as my kid gets into college and my kid gets the opportunity because that's why I'm sending you know, my, my child to your school. Now, independent schools are a little bit different from public schools. Some public schools, like the one, you know, a few blocks over here where my kids went, conversation, right? Public schools in Newark, <laughs> Newark, New Jersey, or Camden, or inner city Dallas, or whatever else, that's not the conversation. Right. You know, the conversation in those schools is basically just, just keep my kids safe, you know, like get my kid to the point where they can, you know, have some sense of, of opportunity 
Um, and college is like almost, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? It is more, it is more of a public good that's happening in schools like that. But the vast majority of upper middle class schools, independent schools, international schools now, it's all about that other path. And that's, that's a problem because learning, learning gets lost then. It doesn't matter what you've learned. It doesn't matter. That's much what you can do. What matters is you've got this score on the test. You've got this credential. It's a signal that you can get into college and then they run that same thing so that they signal to employers that you're employable and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, let's not, let's not kid ourselves. Yeah, it's purely um, transactional. The, the reforms that have happened in schools over the last hundred years have been driven by the consumer, have been driven by the people who are sending their kids to these schools in order to get access to that status. And I think that's a really interesting thesis. And the more that I kind of think about it and the more I kind of look for it, I see it all over the place. And it's absolutely true. Yeah. And so counterintuitive again, right? Like I went through that school system and I'm fine today. So why should we change the school system for my kid yet again? Well, how rich and fulfilling and, and curiosity driven is your life, right? How many of you have found purpose? In and how do you measure, how do you, where does that show up in the parent portal? You know what I'm saying? I mean, right. And where does that, you know what I mean? And where does that actually show? If, if you have that, but you don't have test scores and you don't have grades and you don't have that stuff, you're not getting into college, right? So um, if, when you're talking to these teachers, as we kind of wrap here, like, uh, I think I've heard you talk earlier on power and agency, and you may just say shift the, shift the power dynamic in your classroom, but, but you're talking to the individual teacher caught in this system that you've just, you know, sort of like yeah. uh, soliloquized as being, uh, you, you know, essentially stuck. Um, what are the what are the one or two things that you would say for the individual teacher who really wants to turn his or her classroom could be the secret to driving well, engagement? I mean, again, I think that you have to be able to um, you have to be able to make the case as to why you want to make that change, right? You have to articulate what your beliefs are around learning, and those beliefs have to suggest at least that more agency leads to deeper learning, right? So that there's a philosophical um, piece of this that I'm not sure enough teachers or, or, you know, a lot of teachers actually have really thought about and, and written down and articulated and kind of posted on the wall and say, this is what I believe about how kids learn most powerfully and deeply. So that's number one, certainly. Um, but number two is I, I think you find whatever space you can to give kids more agency. One of the ones that I've seen, and I'm, you probably do it at Parish, is, is the genius hour concept, right? Where we give kids some time, at least, to pursue things on their own merits for their own, and for their own purposes, their own interests, to find engagement in the things that they really care about. And, you know, if it's an hour, great. If it's an hour and a half, better. If it's three hours, great. even more, right? I was just in Australia a couple of weeks ago at a school a K through eight primary school where kids have two hours every single day to work on passion projects. And they just kind of build the day around that work. Um, and again, this is a, you know, it's a public community school. It's not an independent school or private school. I mean, this is just the way that they've decided to go about it. So I think you find, I think you find what space you can for it. Right. And, and you, but you make sure that, it aligns with some articulation of this is what I believe. This is why I'm doing it. And the kids understand that too, you know, that you say to kids, look, let's talk about learning. How do we learn best? We learn best when we're engaged. We learn best when we're doing things that we really care about. You're probably learning more about stuff outside of school than you are inside of school when it comes to deep learning. Right. So how can we create, 
how can we create space for that in our classroom and work that with them, you know, bring them in on that conversation and then find places to do that. I remember, and you probably did too, those first years in the classroom when it was such the panic to make sure you understood the content you were going to teach. No doubt. And I realized that you were really just about becoming the end, the architect of your classroom environment. Like it was really about thinking about what the kids were going to do, not what you were going to do. Right. So I often have that conversation with relatively young faculty members is just to think about not so much what I have to teach them, but what is it that they can be doing, utilizing yeah. the content that I am responsible for them learning. And when you really start to think about your class as an, as an ecosystem or whatever metaphor you want to use, right, and, and how you're building that and building a learning experience instead of delivering content, that is a pretty important mind shift that, frankly, none of our colleges of education are really doing a great job helping our, our incoming teachers talk about. So if I were to counter your or, or pair uh, your suggestion uh, as to sort of work small, work incrementally, um, I would, you know, that's what I would, that's what I would offer. Um, oh, it's all about, it's all about creating conditions for that to happen. I mean, right. that's really the work of the teacher. Correct. How can you create more of the conditions that you know are needed to lead to really powerful learning? How can you make those happen in classrooms? But the other piece that just briefly is that, you know, and this is a Saracen quote that I use all the time, but he says, it's great, create those conditions for kids, but they're not going to be successful if those same conditions don't exist for teachers as well. So it really is cultural when you get down to it, you know, and it really is, does everyone feel like they have agency? Do teachers feel like they have agency? Are teachers, are teachers engaged because they are pursuing things that they find interesting, that, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, it's not, it's, it's not engagement or agency in isolation. It's, it's really across the entire culture uh, of the community. Yeah, it's a great point because you can't say to a teacher, it's 940 on February 25th, you're supposed to be teaching this right. part of your grammar unit, which is how it is in some articulated curricula that it, that it, right. that it works that way. Um, well, thanks for the time. I hope uh, friends down here in Dallas who haven't plugged into you will do so at, our, um, at Will Rich 45 on Twitter and uh, certainly through the Modern Learner podcast, which is a, a great input for some of your you know, of the guests that you bring on. You've had David Gleason uh, and you've had uh, you know, others like that who work with you, Bruce Dixon, and uh, come on to that space. So by all means, plug in with you. And uh, thanks for taking some time with me. I sure appreciate you coming on the From My Angle podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. Continued success, Dave. <laughs> we're we're going to keep working at it. Thanks, Will. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. Enjoy your upcoming spring break. We will return after the break and pick up our exploration of belonging through engagement, shifting our focus from the schoolhouse to the workplace. Until the next time, thanks for joining me on From My Angle. <laughs>